Well, we, this, this is part two of one of the most well-known parables, that is, teaching stories that Jesus ever gave. I spoke two weeks ago on the prodigal son and told you all about the younger brother who, who went off and sinned and did big things. And today is part two of that. And, and I want to be honest. There's a really big problem with this parable. Now, you may have heard it before. It's very familiar. And so I, I want you to know that not to check out today. There is something for you. But I call this the prodigal problem because something is different about this famous parable. Something's missing from it. Now, if you remember the story, I'm going to recap it very briefly. There's a father who has two sons. The younger brother comes to him and says, you're dead to me. I want my inheritance. Breaks the father's heart. The father sells off a third of his property and gives it to the younger brother who then takes it to Vegas and squanders it with sin, doing everything you shouldn't do and then doubling it. Well, the younger brother comes to his senses. He's living in a pig pen. Life has gone terrible. He's out of money. And he thinks, if I can just go be a servant back in daddy's house, I'll get some food. So he has this big speech ready. He comes marching back. And it says that uh, as he gets on the property, the father is there waiting for him. The father runs to him. And the father covers him with his robe and his ring and says, my son who was dead is now here. Let's celebrate. Let's party. It's a beautiful story. And many of us who have, who have had a, a sinful past and places, pig, stins, pig pens in our secret uh, sin life, we, we, we love that God welcomes us home with grace and forgiveness. But there's, there's something missing. The prodigal problem is this. The prodigal son story parable comes in Luke 15, and there's three parables in a row that Jesus teaches to tell us about the father and his love. The first one we covered three weeks ago, and it's about the shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one goes missing. And what does the shepherd do? He leaves the 99 to go find the one. He, he, he leaves the comfort of, of his tent, his place, wherever he is, and he goes off into the wilderness to search and find this lost sheep who's gone because he loves it. When he finds the sheep where it's stuck, he puts it on his shoulders and brings it back for a party. The next parable is about a woman who loses a coin and she drops everything she has. She, she cleans out everything she can. She, she puts everything aside to find what was lost. She goes looking for it, leaving nothing unturned. It's beautiful. In both parables, Jesus reveals the heart of a father who grieves for what is lost, for who is lost, and what does he do? He goes out to find the lost. But here in the the parable of the prodigal son. What do you notice? Does the father leave the house to go find the wayward son? In fact, what does the father do? Well, he does nothing. He, he, in fact, he, he waits in the comfort of his own house, waiting for his lost child. Why would God leave the 99 to go find the one? Why would he, he clear out everything to find the, what was lost to him in the coin and not leave his own home to find his lost son? He would leave 99 for one, but he won't leave one older brother to go find the younger. And yes, he accepts him back and we love the beauty of that and the, the grace, but the prodigal problem of why God didn't go in search of who was lost, it always kind of stuck with me. And by the end of today's message, I think God's going to show you something pretty amazing that answers this question about the prodigal problem. We have these three characters, the loving father, the, the sinful wayward son, 
the older religious brother. We look at the younger one, his sin is so obvious. And we're going to look at the older brother, and we're going to see that his, his good works are just as obvious. But we're going to see by the end of this that these two brothers, the older and the younger, have so much more in common than they would like to admit. And we're also going to see that in our own lives, someplace we have some younger brother, some places maybe we have some older brother. And what is God calling us to on the other side of this parable? You see, the little brother has done everything all wrong. The big brother seems to have done everything all right. Now we pick up this parable where the little brother is home. The father's rejoicing. He started this party. Everyone is having a good time. Well, almost everyone, someone's missing. In Luke 15, 25, it says, Meanwhile, while the party's going, the older brother, the older son, was in the field. He's not reveling. He's not celebrating. He's certainly not sinning. He is working diligently. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. He called to one of the servants and asked, What's going on? The servant said, your brother's come and your father has killed the fatted calf and he, was, he has him back safe and sound. Have you, ever, have you ever shown up somewhere and there was a party you didn't know about? It was only a month ago. I was at a restaurant in Glenwood and there was a private party in the back corner. There was balloons. It was marked off, private party. No big deal. I, I like people. My wife knows I've never met people in parties I, don't li- I, I, I didn't like. So I'm like, well, what's in there? Who should I go meet? Well, somebody from the, the, the private party comes out, and I go, what are you guys doing in there? And she goes, oh, it, it's great. It's, it's, a, it's a high school reunion. And I, I, I graduated from this area, from Roaring Fork High School here in Carbondale. And I'm like, oh, cool, what class? And she goes, well, it's Roaring Fork High School, class of 94. And I go, well, that's, that's my class. <laughs> I go, I look, I mean, I look at her, I go, are you sure? It's Roaring Fork High School. She goes, yeah. I go, are you sure? It's 1994. She goes, I think they combined with 95. So 94, 95. I go, what? I mean, of all the nerves, here I am looking for a party and they're, they forgot to invite me. So what do I do? I'm going to see about this party. I walk in there to my classmates and I walk in and I go, and I don't recognize anybody. I know it's been a long time. People have changed, but I don't recognize any of you. And I go finally go up to the side and go, hey, man, uh, what, what year is this? He goes, 94, brother. And I go, oh. he goes, you need a name tag? And I go, I guess. And I go, what school? He goes, Glenwood High. And I go, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> you guys enjoy your little party, Glenwood. <laughs> that close to not be invited to my own reunion, I'm telling you. I walked out of there feeling pretty good about myself after being crippled by shame just a few moments earlier. The older brother he gets home and there's this party, the whole family, the whole village, everyone's there. It's his class. It's everything. But, but, but what, what's happening? Your father's killed the fatted calf. That's a big deal. That is so rare. They save that for, for huge parties where it feeds a lot of people. Now, this is great news. Now, certainly the older brother, he hears this like, my younger brother's home? Yes. I, I'm so glad that dad is thrilled. I can't wait to see him. So surely he runs in and just like his father hugs the younger brother, right? Well, it says in verse 28, at this, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Interesting response, don't you think? I mean, shouldn't he be happy for his father, for his brother, for himself? Now we have an older brother angry that his younger brother is back. He's angry that his father is celebrating this younger brother who's done it all wrong. 
Jesus turns this story to the anger of the older brother. And we have to remember who's listening. Remember the audience, if you've been with me the last few weeks. The audience of this sermon, it tells us right there clearly, it says it's tax collectors, ooh, and notorious sinners, like the all-star sin team, right? These people who are known for their sinning. And then it says there's the religious elites, the Pharisees, the priests. They knew the biblical law. They had it memorized, the entire Old Testament memorized. So we have the religious elite and the the sinful elite right there. Now you can imagine these Pharisees as they're listening to this story, Jesus teaching what's happening here. And what are they feeling about this? This is not how it's supposed to go. The younger brother said his father was dead, went and wasted all the money, ate with pigs, which is against our law, and then has the nerve to come home. He didn't even say he was sorry. He came home because he was hungry. What? This is not how it's supposed to go. He needs to pay back the money. He needs to have penance. He needs to pay his dues. He needs to privately make up for all his mess before he publicly comes back and gets a party. How do we know this kid's faith is even real? You can hear them just judging this. You see, the religious people listening to this parable would have been angry at this reckless love and grace of the father that he gave his younger son This is not how these religious elites believed God would have responded. This was not how they were responding in their own life. I mean, surely when a sinner came to them into their temple, a filthy sinner into their presence, these religious elites, they didn't receive them with grace. You see, a sinner was to be avoided at all costs, judged, looked down on. A sinner must make their reparations before coming back into the religion. So Jesus is telling a parable about God's nature, about who he is. And these religious people, they think they know God's nature. They think they know God and they're confused and they're offended. How could he say this? How could he receive them back? They get the older brother's anger because they think it's warranted. Jesus' parable is, is, is not being told the way they believe it should go. And the father in this story is not fitting into the box that they have God in. It says the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So what happened? The father went out and pleaded with him. Now this might seem small, but this is so huge. We know the father has two sons, and it's becoming clear at this point, as we'll see, that one son is just as lost as the other one. They're both lost. One was lost in wandering sin, and the other is lost in judgmental religion. What's amazing here is that the father... While he didn't go out and search for the son, he did run to him and cover him when he came near. But we see that the father goes out to the older son. He goes out after him. He goes to him and he pleads, son, please come in. I mean, surely the older son would be moved by this. His father, he'd seen his father's pain at his younger brother's leaving. He knows how how deep it cut. And now he sees his father's joy as his father doesn't come down on him, but pleads with him. Verse 29, but the son answered the father, look, all these years I've been slaving. All these years I've been what? Sorry, guys. <laughs> all these years I've been what? Slaving. All these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. And there it is, the revelation of the older brother's heart. 
From the son's very mouth, we learn how he sees himself and how he sees his father. All these years, I have been slaving for you. In his mind, while the younger brother was out there sinning, he has been home slaving. And the verse speaks volumes. I've been slaving for you. I mean, we have to see the irony here. There's such irony. The younger brother comes home and longs to be a servant or a slave. His best plan is to come home and be a servant or a slave. Yet the older brother, already home, views himself as a slave. These boys have so much in common because neither of them see themselves the way the father sees them. They identify as a sinner. They identify as a servant, as a slave. But neither of them sees the way their daddy sees them as beloved sons. It turns out the older brother has a twisted view of the father, as twisted as the younger. The younger brother perceives his father as a boss that may employ him as a servant to work off his debt. And the older perceives his father as a master demanding dutiful obedience. Both have missed the father's true identity. Both have missed the father's heart. And there in that audience of Jesus, when we have the, the, the sinners, the younger brothers, and the saints, the priests, the older brothers, he's speaking to them. And today, he's speaking to you. You see, the father doesn't want a servant. He doesn't want a slave. He doesn't need those. And perhaps today, maybe you fall into one of these categories. Either you feel that you have done so much wrong in your past that you have to work your way back in and, and earn the Father's forgiveness, pay some penance because of your bad behavior. That is younger son's version of religion, to work off your debt to the Father. Or perhaps you're dutifully here working hard, doing religious things, and you're, you're hoping your Father will see the good works he will, and, and when he sees the good works, he'll grant you favor. And in fact, there's this belief that, that if I do what's right, he'll protect me. If I, do what's, if I do my duty, he'll do his thing. See, both are working hard to earn the Father's favor. Both are striving. And the bottom line is, both of these brothers, both of these types of people who we can be, believe the Father cares more about what they do and who they are. Both sons have come to believe that their dad is more impressed with what they can do for him than who they are to him. One wants to be a servant, the other thinks they're a slave. And the whole time, the father's heart declares, I just want my boys. I want my kids. Religion says you have to earn it one way or another. Earn your way back into forgiveness or keep earning the favor by not being as bad as the others. One son looks at the servants and hopes to be one. One son looks at the sinners and glad he isn't, and glad he isn't one. And God would say to the younger brother types here today, why are you trying to pay me back for the sin you have in your past? Why are you working to pay off a debt that has already been canceled? Because of the work of my son Jesus, your sin has been forgiven. You can't earn my love. To the older brothers in us, he would say, why are you continuing to try to strive and work for approval by your good deeds? The favor is already yours because of what Jesus has done. You can't earn my love. It's already been given. One brother isn't, the older brother isn't done. He says, I never disobey your orders. 
He didn't say, like, I know your heart, Father. He says, I never disobey your orders. Again, giving us clues to how he believes. Father, I did it right. I've kept the checklist, the star chart that you need things done. Tithing, I served in nursery even. I I showed up. I'm doing all the religious right things. I'm doing them. I've never disobeyed. My spiritual star chart is full. What's amazing is the older brother and the younger brother both believe in Christian karma. They believe they should receive, receive divine favor or failure based solely on what they do or do not do. And Jesus is revealing once again that grace and karma cannot coexist because grace pays all the bills that karma would love to collect from your life. Praise be to God for his grace. And we don't live by an impersonal, unleading law of the universe that extracts justice regardless of grace and love. In God's kingdom, thankfully, there's no room for something as impersonal as karma. In the Father's house, in the Father's house, none of us get what we deserve. None of us get what we deserve. That's great news. That's good news. Instead, because of Jesus, we get unconditional love, total forgiveness of sins, amazing grace, peace, presence, and power, and God's favor well beyond anything we could earn or behave our way into. Thank God for his grace. The big brother continues to tell his father why the father's doing things wrong. He says this, yet you never, I've done everything right, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. He mentions this goat like you never even gave me a young goat. What's interesting is that while the fatted calf was saved and designed for a large-scale, more community celebration, a young goat, like the one he mentions that he wants, would only feed a handful of people. It wouldn't be much of a community celebration. Perhaps this religious older brother doesn't want a party with all these common people who are here, some of them sinners. Remember who's listening? The Pharisees. They don't want the fattened calf party with all of those kind of people? No. A young goat would only feed a handful of me and my friends. Perhaps older brother types could gather together with other older brother types, and they could maybe even gather on a Sunday morning and celebrate that, that they aren't sinners like other people. See, it's, it, this isn't a gathering to thank God for who he is. It's a gathering to remind themselves how better they are compared to others. In fact, any actual sinner or younger brother or sister who has been wayward would feel pretty out of place if they wandered in some Sunday morning to that older brother gathering, wouldn't they? They might even feel like that older brother gathering judges them and looks down on them. We wonder why so many people refuse to visit a church or have judgment on what we believe. Could it be because just like in the time of Jesus, just back when, like, when Jesus was teaching us, there are judgmental groups of religious people who gather on the weekend to thank God they aren't like the younger brothers and sisters out there? Could it be that some churches, all church, we have gotten a reputation honestly? Could it be we've come by it honestly? Not for running to hug and receive those far from God, but instead sitting in judgment as they try to come close to God? Could it be that Sunday services more often resemble a somber gathering of older brothers instead of a celebratory feast 
where all are welcome. Orchard, may this never be true of us. We know that we were all wayward sons at some point. We know that God's grace is why we are here. It is equal footing at the cross of Jesus. There is no hierarchy other than Jesus above all things. At the orchard, there is room for everyone. And I've said this before, that I'm not so concerned. We have, we, we, we have so many concerns but with those people and those sins and those lifestyles and that stuff. I am not so concerned with how people identify outside in their own life. But here's my hope, that when they come into contact with myself, the orchard, any of you, they identify more and more with Jesus. Because you see, Jesus is the one that can truly change identity. Jesus is the one who can truly change their life. The church is not here to be the sin police. We're here to be a beacon of hope to point to, the, to Jesus who can change their life. And so we welcome everyone, anyone. We welcomed you. <laughs> we welcomed me. Man, I, I need God's grace so much. Praise be to God for what he has done. If, youngers and brothers, if younger brothers and sisters don't feel comfortable coming into the orchard, we need to radically rethink what we're doing. There is room for everyone here. Another interesting thing about the older brother, he says this, but when this son of yours who squandered the property and prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf. When this, this son of yours, talk about those and thems and other people, not my brother, your son, father. The religious heart of the older brother has disowned the child of the father for their behavior. And that's the final words from the older brother, from either of them. That's final speech is all we know. So now we turn to the father because this parable was after all to, to reveal the father's nature. And what have we learned about this father? So far we've learned that he, he loves those who are far from, them, from him. And when, when they come home, he, he runs to them. It's forgiveness, there's grace. We learned that he loves those who, who do it all wrong. And now we've learned that he loves those who try to do it all right. We've learned that he runs to broken, sinful children. We've learned that he runs to angry, religious children as well. But how does he respond to this final accusation by his older son? In this parable revealing God's nature, it's important for us to see how he responds. The first thing he says is this, my son. See, he reminds his boy who sees himself as a slave, dutifully working for his father's favor, my son, you are my son. Speaking identity, you think you're a slave? You're my boy. You may be angry at me, but you're my son. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. And that's true. The father has an estate. And upon his death, the older son would get two thirds. The younger son would get one third in that culture. The younger son has already received his one-third. The father sold off a third of his life and gave it to the younger son. Everything the father now has is the older brothers. He speaks truth. Everything I have is yours. You want a young goat? You want a fatted calf? Everything is yours. This is all yours, son. As my son, you have access to everything. You have authority in this house. Nothing is denied to you. You're upset at the grace that I've given your brother, yet my grace and love are present for you here each day. But son, 
He says in verse 32, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost and he was found. What does he say? This brother of yours. Remember what the older brother said? This son of yours. The father says, this brother of yours. Reminding him of the common ground they have. This brother of yours. You cannot escape the spiritual truth that you are both my sons and he is your brother. And you may think his sin or their sin disqualifies them, but make no mistake, God gets to choose who is his. And there are certain people we might not want in our church, but God would say, I am calling the lost home and I love each one of them. These brothers of yours, these sisters of yours, they were lost. They are lost and I love them. You see, what a deep and rich parable we have about these two sons, both sons struggling with the exact same thing. They both thought their good and bad works determined their relationship with the Father. And we have to be honest, we struggle with this. If I, say, if I was to say, how is your spiritual life going? You would probably grade it based on what you are doing or not doing. We all have a little older brother and little brother within us. Earning, paying off, penance, The younger brother thought he was disqualified from being a son because of his disobedience, while the older brother thought he qualified as a son because of his obedience. Both judged their position with the father based on their actions. The younger son thought he could work hard for forgiveness. The older son wanted to work hard for favor. The younger son didn't think he deserved grace. He had to earn it. The older son didn't think he needed grace. He thought he'd earned it. One longs to be a servant. The other views himself as a slave. The younger wants to make up for what he's done. The older wants to measure up to what he's done. Both these sons trying to earn the approval of their father in heaven, as Jesus tells this. Not by who they are, not by the work of someone else, but by what they are doing. There's only one huge problem. Jesus is making it crystal clear through this parable that in God's economy, you don't earn his approval. You can't earn your way into being a son or a daughter. The bottom line is this. If you're a daughter of the father, you don't have to skulk home and pay penance for your sin and think you can be a servant. You're a daughter in the house. If you're a son of the father, you don't stay at home and religiously work thinking you're better off than other people. You're not a servant. You're not a slave. You're his daughter. You're his son. You're his beloved And daughters and sons behave much differently in God's house than servants and slaves. And many of us have been behaving like servants or slaves with our heavenly father. He wants you to know you're a son. You're a daughter. He delights in you. He doesn't, you're not defined by your past and you're not defined by your your present good works. You're defined by his son's good work. You're defined by his love and grace for you. We learn today that both of these sons realize They need to realize that it's not by their works, good or bad, that they are defined spiritually. And that's the challenge for us, to stop defining our life based on the sin that we have in our past or in our present. For some of you, we are are defining our life based on the sin in our past and our present. Others of us, we're defining our, our life based on the good deeds we think we're earning. To all, we need to be defined as children, of God, because that's how he sees us. Jesus gave his life so we could come home to God's kingdom and be daughters and be sons 
instead of slaves and servants. Now, I mentioned to you at the beginning the prodigal problem. The father didn't go out and look for his, his boy, did he? He didn't go look for his younger son. Why? He looked for a coin. He left 99 sheep. You can't leave a son to go find your lost son. It's, it's nice that he waits for us, but, but why didn't he leave the house and look for us? There's a very clear reason for this that you must understand culturally. Jesus is speaking in a certain culture and time. And as he is preaching this to those people, those Pharisees and sinners gathered, it is true. Patriarchs, fathers, would not leave their home to go out and find lost children. Culturally. That's why he didn't do it in the parable. But there is someone in the parable who was supposed to go seek and find the younger brother. In that culture, there is one person present in the parable who should have seen the pain on his father's heart, the brokenheartedness of the father for the loss of his youngest son. And he would have packed their bags, he would have put on his sandals, and he would have gone out and searched for the lost son. And who is it? It's the older brother. And this culture, he would be the one to leave, to go find. You see, he would know his father's heart. He would have taken everything on the, on the estate is his. He would have taken his own money, what was going to be his. He would have dressed himself, much like the shepherd would have left the 99 and packed and gone into the wilderness, not knowing how long it would take, not knowing what it would require. The older brother would have packed money and supplies and left the estate to go look for the younger brother, not knowing how long it would take, not knowing where he had to go. He would sacrifice at great cost to himself the comfort of his father's house to go and find the lost. But the older brother in the parable, he's too offended at the sin of the younger brother. He's not going to go looking for those people. I'm not going to go out after them. He despised the lost. He would not sacrifice anything further to look for someone like that. And in fact, did you know even further in this culture, the older son in some ways could have declared vendetta against his younger brother, which meant he had chosen the right to kill him for dishonoring the family. Do you see now why the father ran to his son, the younger brother, and covered him? Could it be that he wanted to get there before the older brother? Could he want to cover him in his robes and declare, the son is mine, before the older brother showed up to exact religious judgment upon him? He throws the robe, gives him the ring, declares, this is my son. You see, this parable is a call to those who are far from God, but is also a challenge to those who, are, who believe themselves close to God. The son was lost and dead, and you did not go after him. You preferred the luxury of your religious life and the comforts of your father's house more than the heart and soul of your lost brother. Jesus is looking to these older brothers and sisters there who claim to know God, and he's saying, where were you? Where are you? Your brothers and sisters are lost out there. And you sit in your ivory tower and wait for them to skulk back and look down on your nose at them. 
When did you get so religious that you stopped knowing my heart for my sons and my daughters? Orchard, may this not be true of us. If you claim to follow Jesus and know God's gift of salvation, you are a son, you are a daughter in God's house. And there are those who are out there who are far from God. And you probably know them. They have wandered. They're stuck in their sin. They're spiritually lost. And who does God task with going out to bring them back to the Father's house? You see, a year, years after this, when Jesus is, is, he has died and resurrected and he's about to leave the earth, he speaks to sons and daughters. He speaks to people gathered there and he says, I'm leaving. I'm putting all this in your hands. Go and tell people about me and bring them into my house. Go do the work of the older brother. Go to the lost, go to the needy, go to the broken and bring them. See, the father has a house and we are living in the faith of it. But are we in any way going to those who are not yet here? Are we taking our position seriously to go out and find those lost brothers and sisters? Or are we working religiously, too offended or too disgusted by their lifestyle or who they are? I mean, the younger brother was in a pig pen. He had lost everything. Who would want any part of that? And the father would say, where were you? They're out there. We are the older brothers and sisters in God's house and he has asked us to go at great expense to our own selves and find those who are lost to invite them to the Father's house. So one of the challenges of today is who? Who is that? Who is that person that's far from God? That you know that you are called to go and illuminate Jesus. There's one more amazing point to this and the late Tim Keller, one of the greatest preachers that we've known in his book, The Prodigal God, it's one of the greatest treatments of the prodigal son. He clarifies some things and he says something like this. He says, you know, we were all younger brothers. We're all far from God. We all have our sin. And did God go looking for us? Thankfully, we have a perfect older brother who left the comfort and luxury of his father's house in heaven to come down to earth and at great expense and sacrifice of his own life went out to find those who are lost and far from him and that's you and that's me. That Jesus was our older brother who left everything in the father's house to go out and find us and pull us out of the pit and pull us out of the pig pen and bring us to his light and then begin his beautiful work to transform us and identity, to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to walk as sons and daughters in his house so that now we can go out and do the same for others. Thank God for Jesus. As we go into communion, I want you to take a moment to truly as you hold the symbol of Jesus' body and blood there in your hands, to thank Jesus that he left the luxury and comfort of the Father's house to come down at great cost, expense of his own body and his own blood to sacrifice. So why? So that we have a clear path home to the Father who's waiting with open arms. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are the one who comes and finds us. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your forgiveness 
I pray this morning you would do your deep work in our hearts, in our lives, to those who believe they are younger brothers and sisters too far gone from God's grace, too messed up, too sinful, disqualified. I pray that you would reveal to them that your grace and your love is greater than any sin. Father, for those of us in here, older brothers and sisters who have been judgmental to people who are far from you, forgive us. And may we take a cue from Jesus who gave up everything to go to those. In Jesus' name.